Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25. Here's to the winning combination for 2023, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last. You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. A back pass that goes awry from Marimanov, taken away by Lazard. Malardi, one time, the scores! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Arvidsson sprints across, gets to the box, circles, centers, they score! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. We've reached the 41-game mark, you guys. That's halfway through the season. We may be the only team in the league so far to hit that mark, but we've hit it. At the start of the season, we laid out the 10 biggest storylines for the 2022-23 season. Now that we've arrived here at 41 games, it's time to go back and revisit them. But this time, we're bringing analytics to the table. Hope you enjoy it. Let's have a great second half. Go Kings go. Joining me now, Jim Fox. How are you doing today, Jim? Doing great, Jess. Thank you very much. And from Bally Sports, Ed Egros. How are you doing today, Ed? I am fantastic. How are you doing? I'm excellent. So the last time we had you on, Ed, I found myself saying multiple times, geez, I wish Jim Fox was here to weigh in on what we're talking about. So we're at the 41 game mark. We're going to revisit the 10 questions or the 10 storylines we laid out at the beginning of the season, and we're doing it with Jim. Um, we're going to start out with a couple of easy ones that I don't think require much conversation. Uh, the first one is one I always include because I think it is a storyline that impacts the Kings, that the Kings have very little control over. That is how will the rest of the Pacific Division perform. We're 41 games in. The Kings are. Not all the teams have played 41 games, so it's not necessarily a completely fair comparison. But Seattle and Vegas, I think, as Jim identified, overperforming. Uh, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, underperforming. Fair to say, Jim? I, I would say that with Seattle, I thought they were, when we did our preseason, I thought they would be much improved. I would thought they'd be 86, 88 points when it comes to the final. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, the injuries are the thing that come to mind right now, and that's just with Vegas. And even with Evander Kane in Edmonton, how big a part he was with them. Uh, I think all those teams right there, the Alberta teams, as we speak, have a lot of questions to answer right now. But um, I, I think with Seattle, it's not a surprise to me. Vancouver is probably the biggest drop-off of a surprise because they were heading, heading last year and all oh, the big comeback uh, – Boudreaux's hired and they go 87 games above 500 the rest of the way. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I, the thing I'm impressed with the most as we sit here is how the Kings started. That's not the thing impressed me. 
the thing that impressed me is how they have come out of that and how they've settled and stabilized things. And it's interesting, too, because if you at the beginning of the season were looking at those positive regression candidates in terms of those that, okay, they had okay seasons, but they should have performed even better than they did. The two that really came to mind to me were Vegas and Vancouver. You know, Vegas especially because they've been so consistently strong ever since the franchise began, and they just had some horrible luck last season that you would expect to regroup. And with Vancouver, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head in terms of all the things that, you know, you were expecting out of them They have, that haven't quite happened yet. And then if you were looking for a regression candidate, you know, Edmonton may have been one of them. Calgary may have been another. And that's kind of panned out the way that it has so far. And so it's interesting when you look at the Pacific Division specifically, I don't think there have been a ton of surprises in terms of how everybody's performed so far. You know, the, the thing that catches my it's a storyline. The storyline was what happened when Calgary, they're falling apart. They're losing Goudreau. They're losing Kachuk. And then all of a sudden, their GM is a candidate for GM of the year. And yet, it hasn't shown through yet. Now, uh, you know, Uberdo, he's just struggling right now. He can't find what's happening. Man, when we played him when he was in Florida, he would find the open guy. He'd hold on. Just not. Now, I think Daryl Sutter's teams, we know, have that chance to learn from mistakes Go through those mistakes. Daryl actually wants you to make mistakes so he can get on to you, knowing that it's going to make you stronger before the end of the year. A sign of a good coach, right? Like, they go. don't want you to be perfect. They want to make sure they're doing something for that paycheck. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the next one was what role will injury and illness play in the 2022-23 season? And we included that primarily because last season was so disastrous at times. The Kings with nine regular players out of the lineup. One game, literally all six defensemen were not in the lineup on opening night. I think five of them were even on the Ontario Reign. At one point, the Reign's starting six defensemen were called up in L.A. Um, so far, injury and illness have played a role, as they always do. But, Jim, I don't think an overwhelming uh, impact on the season to this point. Again, I'm, I'm going to compare it, keep it in the Pacific, but mm -hmm. I'm going to compare it to Vegas, not even close. Right. And, again, the one guy in Edmonton, Evander Kane, who had a huge impact on their team last year when he joined the team, He's been down. He'll be down for a long period of time. Probably get back just when they need to make a rush for a playoff spot if it's still available for them. Or maybe they're going to, who knows, if you're sitting in Edmonton, if they're going to maybe solidify their first place in the Pacific Division. The, when he comes back, it'll be at the perfect time for them. But as far as the Kings, no disrespect to any player that's missed time. Trevor Moore right now, Arthur Kaliev right now. You had Lemieux. You had I follow. It, I don't think it's been a big impact on the Kings. I don't think it really has either. If you look at, say, you know, Spot Track or Man Games Lost or any kind of those resources, all the the most injured teams are in the Eastern Conference. Like the Pacific Division has been just fine. I mean, it's um, I mean, I hate to say unscathed, but for the most part, it's been unscathed. All of the major injuries have kind of happened at the other side of the ledger, and that's not necessarily something that you can expect for the duration of the season because injuries can be fluky. But as far as how things have started. I mean, everybody is uh, showing what they can do at this point. No, I'm going to go back to Vegas. Mm -hmm. Eichel, mm -hmm. Theodore. Those are two players that dictate and impact a game. Both out at the same period of time. Both out for a quite extended long. It looks like Theodore is going to be out even longer. So that that's what I'm talking about. A play, When you miss a player like that type of defenseman that controls pace and tempo of a game, that's where it hurts. I appreciate the commitment to pronunciation. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next one, and this is where we start getting into conversations of analytics. Will any new players have breakout seasons or graduate from the lower leagues? And at face value, you look at a guy like Gabriel Velarde. Unquestionable, you know, breakout season, you could call it. Mm -hmm. 
But I'm curious, it had never even occurred to me before I started this sentence. Um, when we're looking at players like Velarde, do we just look at goal totals when we're talking about a breakout? Or do we look at things like, oh, you know, in previous years, his expected goals were much lower, or his expected goals per 60, or his, you know, whatever the various stats are. I would look at two different factors as far as looking at velarity and then maybe making more macroscopic views as far as how players can perform down the road. Number one, that expected goal to actual goal difference, I think, does indicate something. So if you're looking at, say, a player who's getting a lot of high danger opportunities but is not cashing in, most of the time they will eventually have that positive regression where eventually that that puck's going to find the back of the net eventually. Um, but the other thing, too, that I think matters in this conversation is what kind of shots is a particular hockey player trying to get off? Is it something off the rush? Is it something, you know, in, in transition, something like that? Uh, are they necessarily looking to pass first? And maybe, you know, that's not the best opportunity. So they go ahead and, you know, shoot it, hope for the best, or maybe get a rebound chance, something like that. I think what matters in this grand scheme of the expected goal conversation is to figure out what is a skater trying to do? What is their best offensive attack, weapon approach, whatever the case may be? And if they're doing that, and the goals aren't necessarily, you know, tallying, that's okay. Because at some point they should. But if they're, you'd say they're getting a little bit fortunate in terms of scoring goals in other fashions, then maybe that's where that regression to the mean is going to occur. Jesse knows, Ed, you, you don't know me that, we just met. We just met. Um, Jesse knows how much I put into, how much value I put into the numbers and the analytics. Having said that, what you just said there to me is, is going to show the biggest opposing view of anything we're going to talk about. Because when I'm talking about Gabe Velarde, the thing that stands out to me has nothing to do with that. It has to me coming here for first day of training camp and watching him on the ice and watching him walk off the ice and going meeting him in the dressing room. And right there, I said to Jesse, that's my guy. <laughs> Team one three. First all practice. <laughs> first practice. Because I could see a different person. Now, I think we all know, and Gabe admitted it, he struggled with being too hard on himself. Sure. So mentally, when things were not going well, he would really dip. And he would really go to the point where he wasn't getting any chances at all. Because it just, you know, in his head, he just couldn't. I, I think he's he went back in the summer. He stayed at home. He didn't worry about anything except just being happy with his friends. And I think... All of that came together to when he came to camp. So I'm not even looking at the goals. Now he's had a little bit of a tail off and now started to score again as we're speaking now. Right. But right. that's what we're keeping an eye on. I don't think his his floor has been anywhere near as deep as it was in the past. Sure. This year. When he slumped, he still had some other things he was doing. But so I look at those numbers and I to verify and confirm and do it, but to me, just looking him in the eye was all I needed to see this year. But if I may, this is why I find these conversations so interesting. Because there is an impulse from some fans to say, oh, it's not the National Corsi League, poo, 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 math. But there's also an impulse from people who just, I mean, literally look at the spreadsheets and don't watch the games. And there are some of them out there. I understand sure. that, that is a thing. But, you know, if you're telling a story, which is what I'm sort of ultimately interested in doing when it comes to the Kings... What Jim's talking about in my mind is the why, which frequently gets left out in in the what mm -hmm. conversation. Um, and if we're talking about Velarde, last year, 0. 0.8 goals above exact, above expected. This year, 3.8. And I would argue that 
Jim's observations would go a long way towards explaining how and why that 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 breakout might be happening. Sure. And I also think, you know, some of that, too, infrastructurally is this fact that the Kings are not necessarily relying on one person to score all the goals. I think that is a huge difference in terms of, you know, if we're blending emotion with the numbers, one thing that I know, like, you know, if I were a forward, you know, skating in the NHL, one thing that I would be saying to myself is, boy, I hope I get some help. If I'm having a bad day or a bad stretch or I'm just in some slump, I want to make sure that the rest of my line mates are taking care of me. And that is much easier to do here and now than, say, you know, the Kings last few years or, you know, in other situations that most other young guys find themselves in. And so I think from an emotional aspect, that helps tremendously. You know, and I'm going to bring it full circle to me personally, just knowing my own personality and analytics and numbers and coaches. And when I played in the 80s, basically, coaches didn't say a word to us. We video started to come around to analyze and figure things out. But most trying to figure out what happened on the ice was, what did you see here? The coach would say something. You would say something. There was nothing really there to verify what actually I would love the data and information players get nowadays because the worst thing that I did was my head start to spin. Was I right? Was I wrong? Did I remember it correctly? Was that, should I have been on the left side? Should I have been three? My stick should have been, if I could have seen it or then at least get some backup information, I bet you I would have been way more effective because I cannot imagine how much nervous energy I built with my head spinning and my brain spinning. If I could have got that information, could have received that information, would have made me a better player. And this is exactly why I feel like the coach's responsibility is much greater now than, say, it's ever been, because they have more information at their disposal. And the whole thing that a coach should not do is offer information overload. It's making sure to keep things as simple as possible. And if a coach can do that and a player doesn't have to go out there and think too much, then you really have something special. I would have been the video coach's best friend because I, I would have been, I would have been knocking on the door every day. Just can I see that again? And now they don't even have to do that, right? They have their iPads. They have the, they download all their shifts. And I, I think that's great. Would you have thanked the guys in the van for the look that, uh, that they gave you when you were watching that video? Only if they stop it at the <laughs> yeah, appropriate time. <laughs> um, I want to throw out a couple more names as far as breakout seasons. Cause we were just talking to uh, Todd McClellan, Jim and I were before we started recording this. And we were talking about Jared Anderson Dolan and a player who is not having the offensive impact of a player like uh, Gabriel Velarde, but maybe having a breakout on the other elements of the game that maybe we don't think of as being uh, breakout-ish. Pie in the sky, mm -hmm. Philippe Deneau. Okay. Pie, that's the pie in the sky. Sure. Philippe comes in to great numbers as a junior, comes in the NHL, realizes he cannot be the offensive guy he, he was in junior. Carved out a new niche for himself, which was defense and defense first and learned under uh, Jonathan Taves in sh Chicago and then went to Montreal, had more, but never came here, boom, producing offensively as well as still being the, the shutdown guy defensively. That's the pie in the sky for Jab. Uh, you have to get in the door first a lot of times before. Now, he gets in the door when he came into the franchise as a centerman. There's no hope in heck he's going to play center here. There's just not. It's not going to work. So now he's on the wing. He's gonna, so now he's figuring out maybe. And, and we've talked about Jad. He is the type of player, Ed, that's going to, he'll be a 15 to 20 year professional player. And okay. after that, he'll be a development staff coach. And after that, he'll be a head coach. <laughs> I mean, he loves hockey, but he's had to figure out a way. So everything he's doing, it's not going to, it's not going to jump out at anyone. It's mm -hmm. not going to be right in front of your face. It's just going to be uh, like happened as we speak. 
the night before against Dallas, late in the third period, the coach puts him on the ice, substitutes him for another player to go on a different line and plays him in a situation where you're holding a one-goal lead. So, Ed, when I'm looking at – and if you – I don't know if there's math conferences. I don't know if you go to the uh, – I'm blanking on the name. Sloan? Uh, yeah, Sloan. I don't know if you go to Sloan or Out not. in Boston? Yeah. Uh, what all Zach and I, Zach Dooley and I want at this point is for somebody to take all of the information that's on Money Puck, Natural Stat Trick, Dauber Prospects, and I'm sure there's two or three other sites that I'm thinking, and just put it on one website so I don't have to keep jumping back and forth okay. between, you know, five different websites. Or just follow and, my Twitter handle. Well, or, yeah, sure, there you go. Another opportunity. But if we're talking about a player like Jared Anderson Dolan, because when I'm looking at Natural Stat Trick, which is my go-to, I'm seeing Corsi, I'm seeing Fanwick expected, you know, high danger scoring chances, but I'm not seeing, you know, steals per 60 or, or, you know, I, I hate to sound so <laughs> whatever antediluvian, but sure. You know, I'm Hits not seeing per 60. grit per 60 or yeah, hustle yeah, yeah, per, right. you know what I mean? Like, are those things reflected outside of just Corsi against? They, they can be. And, you know, part of it too is, you know, and this is for, you know, the casual hockey fan who maybe doesn't, who maybe isn't, you know, keeping up with certain details, but all of these things are recorded. Now, much more than ever, all of these things are recorded. The question is, how do you track everything down? And sometimes you have to pay for these data. And, you know, some things that even I would like to have, like, you know, Deeks per 60, you know, things things like that. That's recorded somewhere. You just have to track, track it down. And sometimes that requires a subscription or things like that. But, you know, going back to your point about how you sort of find everything in, you know, one place, you know, it tends to be a little more expensive in terms of the uh, bandwidth to be able to do such things. And then how do you use that information? Exactly. Which elevates to the conversations I've had with Jesse many times is each team has the same data available to them. Mm-hmm. That big pie is there for everyone. It's there. Now, I'm a, I'm certain because each team's analytics departments are always the most secretive department on any team, you have to understand that they may feel – that they're coming on to some new trend that other people are not picking up on yet that becomes an indicator of wins. Mm-hmm. This is going and no one's thinking about it. And if they, if they, then they'll run it through all their, their, their analytics again and they'll see, yeah, we, we tracked Calgary. Same thing with them. If you win, uh, left hand, left side face offs on a Tuesday night and you're going to win the game. And that, then you track it with Edmonton. Oh, same. Now you found the trend. You don't say a word to anyone. Right. Except your internal. You, you go that way and you figure it out and you try to put people in that position. To, but, but the analytics, the data is there for everyone. But you can see how much import that teams are putting on it. They're hiring full-time staffs, multiple people, to see if they can find that stat, that data point where, man, that puts us over the edge. We're going to win. If we can get – Daryl Sutter used to stand and talk to us and he used to go, and that's been the, the Kings were the uh, poster boy for Corsi. He said, and it, I swear, if you saw him say it, you would believe it. He said, if we can have a 50.1% Corsi, we'll win every game. Mm-hmm. Just 0.1 over the other team. That's mm-hmm. all you needed. And that's, you know, have the puck and you got a chance. So two quick reactions to that. Number one, what, what's so interesting about analytics and finding trends is that eventually someone's going to catch on to what that trend is, yeah. copy it, and then no one has that advantage anymore. And that's what makes this, you know, as as the data scientist broadcaster type, you know, enjoying it so much. It's that someone finds out 
and then ultimately everyone copies it and then it's no longer an edge and then you're finding something different. That's exciting because then there's that constant need for revolutionizing. And the second thing is there is actually a stat that is kind of the stat du jour in terms of, you know, the one thing that people are pointing to to say, hey, if you can prevent this, then you're going to win a lot of hockey games, especially in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And that is preventing passes into the slot. That's the one stat that, you know, a lot in the analytics community is really focusing on right now is preventing. And, and it makes intuitive sense, right? But it's one of many things that you can think of in terms of what it takes to win a hockey game. But this one stat of preventing passes into the slot, that's the one that seems to be what people are stressing right now. Just two thoughts. First thing is like a, you find a trend and you take it away. or you, Well, uh, Ovechkin. <laughs> he's still timing those one timers <laughs> and he's been doing it forever. Okay, that's a that's all separate conversation. Yeah, exactly. Right? But and then outliers, folks. Yeah. And the other it's well, I just lost my train of thought on the second one. Was it Arvidsson passing into the slot no, all the time? Uh, oh, good luck. It was good luck uh, for, that. for instance, the Kings are known as a team that does not allow a lot, a lot of rush chances. Mm -hmm. Well, they're also a team that uses the one three one in the neutral zone more than a lot of other teams, which Forces other teams to dump the puck in, which means they're not rushing into the zone. So you get you get the stat, you figure it out, figure out why. And some I asked Tom McClellan the other day, and it's because I many times as an announcer, like many announcers, you ask a question you already know the answer to. But you got to ask, you got to get it from the horse's mouth. So I said, you know, the Kings are top three in the league in block shots. Is that good or bad? Like you know, and he went, you know, well, if you're blocking shots. That means the puck's in your zone a lot. You know, but then he, he brought into another thing. He said, because I brought up Deneau and Kopitar as forwards are known as two-way guys, but also point producers, but they, they're top five in the league blocking shots. Well, he brought up they're in penalty kill situations. He talked about fronting, you know, meaning when you're standing in front of the net in a defensive situation where you've decided to go in front of the other team's player, which you used to say box out, right? Get the inside position. Well, you realize slap shots are not coming, so you can deflect or block a wrist shot by fronting, standing in front of the guy that you're marking, to use a soccer term. And he says those guys are in that situation a lot, and that's why they get a lot of blocks that way. And so that was really digging in deeper into a simple stat of block shots. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to move on to uh, number seven. How will the defense evolve from last season? And this is a storyline that um, I've been sort of keeping my eye on in the background and started talking to Zach Dooley about it. I think you're going to start hearing this storyline come through a lot of Kings channels, which is that the defense has evolved by not evolving. And by that, I mean, we've got three pairs right now and knock wood. Those three pairs have been relatively healthy this season. It's Anderson and Dowdy, Dursey and Roy Walker and Edler and Clark has gotten some games and Bjornfoot's gotten some games and McGrory's gotten some games, but Spence, and Spence, yeah. So you bring you. that to me, Jesse. And this is, you know, why would we ever talk? I used to play. I, I, don't, I hate talking about injury. But if Dursey goes down, mm -hmm. if Walker goes down, Spence could take their place. Right. Like that. Mm -hmm. Just But just compared to last year where we had 14 different defensemen in and out of the lineup, mm -hmm. this year, Dowdy and Anderson play The biggest question minutes. on defense is why have the Kings not gotten a left-handed defenseman yet? From but outside. If, but if they continue to improve, why do they need one? Because they want to win the Stanley well, Cup. Well, sure, okay. <laughs> we bring any, that up. <laughs> yeah, any and all combinations. Sure. You know, that, that's the idea. Yeah, I mean, as, as far as this defense is concerned, to go to your original question, I mean, they've been great at just about every area, and they were pretty solid last season, and it's only improved. And so is health uh, part of this evolutionary process? I mean, having Drew Doughty back, is, that, that matters. It, it matters. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I 
dabble in every once in a while and I hear from, you know, are Drew's numbers still elite? Because there were times where his numbers were elite. I'm talking sure. all the internal, you know, dig layer after layer after layer. And, you know, the probably not, I go by, you know what I do? I go by talking to other players on other teams. And I, you know, they're not going to say to me, Drew sucks. Right. But they also bring up specific situations where Drew does something pretty dumb. Right? And I've talked about it before. And man, I, Matt Roy must hate me for this. And I don't blame him if he does. But he was voted best defenseman on the Kings a couple of years ago when Drew had a regularly, a long, without any injury. He wasn't the best defenseman on the team. Drew mm-hmm. Dowdy was the best defenseman. I voted the for Matt Roy then. There you go. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. No. And you, everyone has their opinion. They, they thought maybe Drew's game had slipped. Still the best defenseman on the team. That's Am my tiebreaker vote here. Is yeah. That- yeah. <laughs> to me, that's a question of linguistics more than anything else because the question, the word best. Right. Yeah. Serves whatever purpose you want it to serve on any given day. And so Jim's not wrong. Drew Doughty has always been. No, let's change change the word. Valuable. Do you change the word? Impactful. Impactful. Drew Doughty. Conserve. Matt Roy. When you're playing 27 minutes a night, the coach is throwing you out there. There's a reason he's doing that. But I think and it wasn't people like say it's because like coach is wrong and he should be fired. But that's, you no, know, I, I use I use uh, minutes as a metric yep. in terms of determining you know greatness and such because obviously I'm not the only one thinking hey he should be on the ice more because he's earning that opportunity. As much as I'd love to go down this rabbit hole and I would love to, um, I'm keeping one eye on the clock. So we're well, gonna... but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, I don't know if it's on the same thing. Mm. That leads me then to to an unfortunate area, which is goaltending. Yeah, yeah, that's, so, and that's the biggest area where I'd say, yeah, the defense is struggling in that particular area. Yeah. Well, I asked Jim this morning uh, because one of the things that I've been looking at, we were trying to figure out um, uh, penalty killing, um, and uh, looking at Alex Edler, right, who is routinely considered a very stable, calming presence, as is Matt Roy, and we were looking at the pairs and how they've been used and implemented. Dowdy and Anderson play even strength and penalty kill together. And at earlier in the season, I had noticed that Dursey and Roy play together as a pair on the penalty kill, as do Edler and Walker. And I was remarking how unusual that is. I would think you'd want to pair Edler and Roy on the penalty kill. We look back into the numbers, and it turns out actually Roy has almost split his time evenly paired with Edler ah. and uh, Dursey on the penalty kill. So then we're just trying to isolate Edler's numbers on the penalty kill. And the question that I kept coming back to was, are all of the numbers just skewed by struggling goaltending numbers? Like, is it just that simple that any question you have, if through the first 41 or the first 30 or whatever it was before Copley was recalled, is or is everything skewed by goaltending? If, if you're talking about just the penalty kill... I don't think so. I think there's actually a little bit more to it than, say, just goaltending. Uh, if you're just looking at even strength, yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, one th- one stat that I wanted to point to, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, the slot a lot. Inner slot shots against. The Kings are number one in the NHL in wow. terms of inner slot shots against. Uh, you know, passes to slot against their fifth. Rebound recovery rate. Uh, the Kings are second in that regard. And so you're just looking at even strength here. You know, you're going to be hard-pressed to find too many defenses that are more consistent uh, than the LA Kings. It it does come down to goaltending if you're talking about even strength. And that has been a struggle. And that's, you know, probably the area that I was pointing to at the start of the season to say, okay, here's where I have, you know, a concern. Because if you're looking at goals saved above expected from last season, um, you know, yeah, Quick was, you know, relatively even as far as that was concerned. But also that was, you know, a bit of an uptick, so to speak. 
So that was probably the area that I was concerned about, and that's that's kind of where we are. And but then I and I, as of three games ago for sure, I'm not sure last last couple of games, but uh, Copley's number was still minus. He's mm-hmm. nine and one, and yet his saves above expected was still a was a minus dot zero. Some right. he wasn't in the plus category yet, and I'm thinking so that's. To me, when you're nine and one, at some point you should be plus. You're saving more than you're, but he still, and that goes into how these are tabulated, right. where the shots are coming from, exactly. all those types of things that uh, Ed just talked about, and 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 that's that's why they're there for. I I, I, lo- I love that. I I love how they can you can go about that, and that's and there's you know there's something that's come up Ed recently, which is timing mm-hmm. of the penalty kills. Like the Kings have allowed. Last game, first game in 10, first game yeah, in 9 or 11 10. 11, maybe. Where, yeah, where yeah. they did not allow a power play goal against. Sure. Against the Dallas Stars last night. But the previous games, they were winning games still because they they allow one early, and then the rest of the game shut up. You know, so And then pe- power play goals four, mm-hmm. same thing. Nothing early, boom, Kempe, third period. Goal. Right, all so, of a sudden. You know, something like that. Um, who was it in uh, Colorado to make it 4-3 on the comeback? Um I have followed yeah. from the big tic-tac-toe power play. So the timing now is coming into the situation where, and, and in, in playoff situations, that's what I always used to think. When you get into the playoffs, you can rank the teams and their power play percentage and penalty kill percentage. It comes down to that kill at the right time. It comes Endurance. down to that goal at the right time. Yeah. It just comes down to the, the timing more than the ranking. Th- think of a great free throw shooter who can't sink their free throws in the final two minutes of a game. You know, I, you know, yeah. some might say, hey, you know, something's getting in their head because of a high leverage situation. I might say, oh, he's tired. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and especially when you take it to the playoffs yeah. and you're playing all of these overtime periods, you're tired. And that's who, who yeah. fights through that. That well, was Shaquille O'Neal's uh, argument. In, <laughs> his own defense was, OK, I miss whatever percentage of them, but I make them when they count. And that's right. why that's what Kobe would do. <laughs> yeah. 50 laps before he would go and do his post-practice uh, because he wanted to be winded. He wanted to mm-hmm. be completely out of air right. before. He took his practice uh, free throw shots. So question seven was defense. Question six was goaltending. And question five was special teams. I'm going to just say that we covered all those right there. Well, sure. I just want to say this about the power play. It's had its ups and downs this year. The ranking is way higher than it was last year. I will say this. The bottom, the floor this year has been not even close to as low as it was in the past. Again, you talk about how it affected the rest of the game. How it the the Kings used last year, a year ago, a season ago, used to go on the power play. No, no, five on five. Keep it going. Get. This year, even though they've gone through some spells, I still think that, and I know against uh, against who was this year, uh, the shorthanded goal late in the game, third period, uh, they came in with six shorthanded goals. Who we just played two games uh, ago? Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The trap game. <clears throat> we'll get into that later. But. So one stat I did want to ask you about uh-huh. uh, in, in terms of, you know, uh, the penalty kill. Zone denial rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, trying to keep guys from, you know, entering the zone. They're, they're 23rd in the NHL right now, uh, 32.6%. What? 23rd bad, 23rd good. 23rd bad. Okay. Yeah, so only eight, nine teams are worse than that okay. as far as oh, denying I, the I zone entries. You can continue. I just want – because when the Kings were winning Stanley Cups, and even now when they have a back pressure by a forward – Right at the blue line, they have a defenseman standing up, and they and they break up the play or force another team's offside. That's when they're at their best. When they're denying that, when they won cups, that's they did that better than any team. So, 
now that they're not doing that on a regular basis. Yeah, and that and that's to me, you know, one of those big red flags in terms of okay, you know, how how reliable is this penalty kill, even if they are at upticks? If you're not denying zone entries, I mean, that's a problem because at some point those fluky goals are going to happen. Uh, face-offs too. Face-off. Yeah, face-offs. They've been struggling there yeah. too. Yeah. So on the penalty kill. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because Kopitar's have especially a solid they're in their year. zone, then yeah, yep. that's that's a problem. Overall, yeah. Yeah. What I find fascinating, and I don't know, I don't have the tools to suss out the answer to this question. It's just a question that I always find myself coming back to. In 2016-17, Mar- Muzzin and Martinez were a pair, and statistically, never mind the actual goals against, but like you know, their possession metrics, they're expected. All of those numbers would be exactly where you'd want them to be. But they were just leaking goals against like you wouldn't believe. And my theory was always that it was a combination of Muzzin's style of play mixed with however it was that Muzzin and Martinez combined together made them more vulnerable to those fluky goals that you're talking about. And so over the course of a season, it would just happen more. Even though they were doing everything right, when they would do something wrong, the way that the two of them combined together was just mistakes get exacerbated. But but how? But those are the sorts of things that I the, the sort of larger alchemy of a team construction. What I would like is this, Ed, and you can work on it because I know you will. <laughs> You're right. I got homework. And Jake, yeah, Jake Muzzin was the guy because I went to Dean Lombardi one night when Jake was just emerging as a player, Dean, a former GM, and I went. Is there a number, do you guys track, because you brought it up earlier, with shooting, the intention. So do you do you track the percentage of positive intentions? Meaning, he just had to chip it out. That was his intention. He executed. He just had to clear it on a penalty kill all the way down the ice. That's, you know, he wasn't under pressure. He did it. Or he had to make a pass. Or intention and i think a general stat because i think that covers to me the most effective player on the ice that night is he accomplished 93 percent of what he intended to do that night because his teammates can read off of it his teammates know what he's trying to do he knows what he's trying to do and he with that intention he finishes off on his intention i think i think passing numbers help as far as that's concerned where you're passing it to i think really helps in terms of uh, understanding intention i mean another one too is you know, if say you don't have a really high expected goal total, maybe you're just trying to generate a rebound and mm-hmm. then you turn something into a high danger opportunity. All right. If it goes to the back of the net, you'll take it. But if it's more, all right, you know, I'm just aiming at the pads so that someone can skate over on, you know, who's free and then try and turn something top shelf. That to me is also part of intention. Yeah. And just you bring up the rebound. I know we're a team that's known for clearing rebounds more than other teams may be playing in front of a goaltender that gives up more rebounds. Than right. Uh, number four on our 10 storylines was, will the offensive contributions from any players regress? Now, Ed, you already mentioned the angle I want to take on this when we were talking about Gabriel Velarde earlier, which is that he's got more options. There's no pressure on one player to produce. And so even though regression might exist across the lineup, Jim, you're throwing your hands up. You you hit something on the oh, mic. Oh, wow. Right? You, always, you always kill me when I yeah. do that. So, um, But if if every player is down one goal per guy, but you add a player like Kevin Fiala, who brings in however many goals he's got on the year, and you have you know Arthur Kaliev improving his goal output, and the end result is that the entire team's offensive output is higher, th- that wasn't even something that I thought about when I – 
put the question in the top 10 at the start of the season was what if the team's offensive output improved? Yes, I, I think that matters a great deal in terms of goals above replacement, wins above replacement, those kinds of things where you're able to measure, you know, what what an average skater would be doing and then what sort of contributions they're adding. And that's why you don't just look at goals and points in terms of determining, you know, what that exact number should be for any particular skater. Uh, and, and so, you know, the balance is there. The balance is really, really good for the Kings right now. I think my question, though, is when the games are less meaningful right now, when you're trying to accomplish these kinds of things right now, certainly the Kings are able to do that. But I also feel like that the regular season is largely meant, yeah, you got to make the playoffs, and yeah, you want to have home ice, all that fun stuff. But also you want to make sure that if you are in a contest where you do need that one skater to sort of take over and make everyone else's lives miserable on the defense, then that's an option. And that's the one question that I have coming into all of this is, do we know who that is yet? And I'm not sure we do. I disagree. Okay. I think I know. I, I'll I narrow it down to two players. Okay. It would be Fiala or Kempe. Sure. Two of your best skaters. But I think you are spot on in an area where I think it still needs to be proven. But I'm going to go back to a recent game and then also bring in some season-long numbers. I, I think the Kings have now come back three times from a two-goal deficit in the third period. Unfathomable in the past. Last uh, win in um, in Colorado. I was so impressed because the Kings did not out-defend an injury-riddled team. They went into the third trailing by two and outscored them, out-offensed them. Like great skilled plays, great power play, tic-tac-toe goal. Then on attack, Fiala, uh, Walker, pull, drag, top corner. Just things that this group was not able to do before. They will still win with the structure. But Ed, you brought it to me, someone who follows the Kings and wants them to win. It's nice to know that maybe in the back, and you're unsure of who that will be, Mm -hmm. but maybe in the back, the Kings can win a game that way. In a seven-game series, you're not always going to out-defend. But maybe maybe you can't go head-to-head with McDavid and Dreisaitl, but maybe, maybe you can... Be there. And, and There's I, that one game yeah, I think you need. One that's, or that's, two games you know, in a seven-game series where you just need that mm, one guy to go mm, nuts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, I think Velarde should be in that conversation okay. as well. In, in large, I mean, and to me, that's where I fall back on expected goals because he's just so much – he's at a much higher total than everyone else. But he's generating so much more offense in that capacity where I go, he, I think he has to be by this point of the season – be a part of that conversation. Maybe if we had this, you know, conversation 30 games ago, I'd say, well, it's way too early. But now mid- at the midway point, I think he should be in that conversation for if you need that one skater to go nuts, maybe he's that one. And it's it's a process of evolution. But to me, and I know in his own mind, he's not thinking this way and will never think this way. But to me, it's nice to know that it might not be Andre Kopitar. Yeah, yeah. For 15 years, he's carried this team on his back. And it's nice to know that there might be other options. And I can still rely on Kopi for everything else, defense and doing that. I don't care what the numbers say. I know he's done it twice this year where the goaltender's pulled out against, and he's had, I call the first one the shift, and of course I have to call the next one the shift part deux. <laughs> but he just, 
he can shut it down when the game's on the line. Now it's it's nice to know that maybe, maybe someone can help him get a goal as opposed to keep it out. Can I throw one more thing out there real fast? Uh, great article in The Athletic this week about one trend that's happening in, in hockey this year is that more there have been more teams that have overcome two-goal mm-hmm. deficits yep. now than arguably any season we've had up to this point. And so, you know, it's great when the Kings can do it, but there are a lot of teams that are capable of doing it. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like, you know, especially when it comes to penalty kill defense, you know, why I was stressing the, uh, you know, defending, you know, entries. That to me matters even more now than say it did in seasons past because offenses are just so much better now. And, and but from a Kings perspective, I'm glad to see that we're on the wave as opposed to missing the wave. Sure. So at least we're there with the other group. And will that, again, when you get into a playoff situation, maybe that doesn't matter as much. But uh, just I got to go back to Stanley Cup years because it's just I had a number in my mind when the Kings were winning in 12. And the number was under six minutes because that's when the last TV timeout happened. The Kings had a lead. I went to sleep on the air. Because I knew the other team had no chance of scoring. <laughs> uh, not they would shut it down, and you can't do that anymore. You can't. No, you really can't. No. I mean, it's changed rules. Players coming in who have now played ten years under those rules. New players coming in now who have never played with hook and grab rules. So now they're trying all these fancy moves because they can. Because so it's just it's getting into a position. Referees willing to call penalties later in games, mm-hmm. you know, game on the line, willing to do that because they've been now, it's been 10 to 15 years where the NHL has gotten away from manage the game to call what you see. And I think everyone's getting used Pulling to that. Pulling the goalie earlier. No question. That now matters. Yep. Love it. So <clears throat> I talked earlier about being more interested in the why and what you're talking about. When they acquired Gabarik in 14, one of the conversations we had was whether or not he still had his speed. And one of the conclusions we came to was even if he doesn't, he still has the reputation of his speed. And sometimes that'll be enough to back players off. And the impact is may not be in exactly the same as being as fast as yep. he was, but it'll be faster than he might be. And having said that, go back and watch the important goals he scored in 14. Absolutely. All in front of the net, grinding it out, whacking, hacking. He, he had to get there. Right. And he had to get there. But and, and but you're... you're the 14 series against Chicago, and we're talking, but it's just mm. so interesting because, again, that's another series where the Kings did not out-defend the other team. They outscored right. the other team. Mm-hmm. 12, I don't think they outscored anyone. They out-defended everyone. And it's nice to have those options. Mm-hmm. I think the Kings are we're not a Stanley Cup team yet, but they're getting to the point where, you know what, it's good that Kobe doesn't have to lead the team in scoring. It's good that Doughty doesn't have to do everything he used to. He might be getting a little bit more help. We'll see what's happening there. It's good that in the compared to a season ago, the power play is clicking at a rate. Even though all power plays are up around the league, or at least, but at least they're they're on the wave. They're not missing the wave. Right. But the the reason I bring up the notion of a reputation impacting play is that you mentioned that offensive players have now come up in this generation where the rules have changed, but defensive players have also come up in that generation, and maybe now we're seeing them even attempt fewer obstructive plays. Which opens the game, right? It's not just the offensive no players having the attitude. It's that this, there is more space because the defensive players are more aware that a penalty might be called on them. And, and you, they don't want to take it late in the game. Yeah, and if you're not aware, then you go on the penalty kill and right. the team scores because the power play percentage <laughs> right. is going through the roof. Exactly. Um, I do want to talk about time on ice, though. Uh, because you mentioned that Gabriel Velarde 
uh, has a high expected goals rate. And I'm looking at it right now. Expected goals per 60. I kicked myself the day I realized per 60 was a thing and that I had never thought of it before. Uh-huh. Because Arthur Kaliev 1.31 expected goals per 60. Goals per 60. Gabriel Velarde 1.52. Arthur Kaliev 1.29. Kevin Fiala 1 expected goal per 60. 0.83 goals per actual goals per 60 i'm just throwing out a bunch of numbers no context the reason i'm bringing it up is some players are afforded more opportunities than others sure and the narrative we tell ourselves i'm going to go reference ovechkin earlier because you where we were talking about trends and you know he's out there on the power play every time every game and people still can't stop him but one of the things that was proposed somewhere and i wish i could remember the article apologies to the author of the article but one of the things i read that blew my mind was that coaching staffs and defenses across the league are not getting victimized by alexander ovechkin on the power play in that spot they are allowing alexander ovechkin on that spot because if they know that that team is running one strategy over and over and over again it's one less thing for you to worry about and if that strategy succeeds however frequently it does for Washington, you know that it will not succeed orders of magnitude more. Right. But we conveniently ignore that half of the narrative. We just look at the actual offensive output. And so looking at the Kings' actual offensive output, sorry to drag this back to the Kings, the the effectiveness aspect of it, the, the per 60, I think gets overlooked sometimes. Sure. And, you know, it's not just the per 60. You know, it's like we, we watch sports as a highlight reel. Well, you mm-hmm. can't do that. And, and thankfully, we have coaches out there in the NHL that don't do that. Thank goodness. Uh, but it's not just the per 60, but it's also, you know, home and away, you know, time during the game, you know, who you have there on the bench, those kinds of things. At some point, you know, the, the data term is, you know, overfitting, where you bring in all these specific things to where there's no trend you can look at anymore because you're looking at such specific situations that it's not really helpful to look at how, you know, one situation happened compared with another. So like home runs hit on a Tuesday by exactly. left-handers when uh, the sun is below the horizon and they're right. serving popcorn, right? Exactly. So at, at some point with you butter. have to generalize. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, that, that's, and that's important. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, at some point you have to generalize some of these things to where you have an idea of, you know, the trends that you're looking at. Uh, I know I misspoke earlier in terms of, you know, Velarde's expected goal numbers, uh, you know, totals. Uh, but, you know, with the offensive output that he's had, I still think that that's important in this conversation. But I, I, I also believe that to avoid overfitting, you do try and generalize, you know, certain situations. But also, you know, there are, there's so many other factors that hockey stats have brought in in terms of period, home and away all these other things that adjust these numbers to where you have a much clearer picture. You know, to me, strength of competition matters a great deal. And, you know, one of the sites whose name I'm forgetting right now, forgive me, uh, but strength of competition matters a great deal as well. You know, are you are you facing, you know, the toughest first line defensively or are you going up against, you know, third, fourth line? That matters a great deal. I'm waving around a computer here, yeah. Ed, because I, I had written down, who are they out against? yes. Score and how much time is left. Mm-hmm. I also, like to me, Gabe Velarde. I can make the argument. And when Gabe went from the early season third line to the first line and his numbers went down, I asked him about competition. Now you're against the best pair defending you every night. He never, he never thought, he, 
he did not let on that he thought that was an issue. Mm-hmm. I thought it was the biggest issue. Now he's going against guys that are bigger and stronger, and his strength is in tight and muscling low and keeping pucks alive. So he's going to have to adapt there. With Fiala, third line versus top line. We're talking five on five. Go your per 60, all that stuff. We could make the argument right now that Velarde and Fiala are more effective when they play down in the lineup, more more productive when they play down sure. in the lineup. Because you want to be consistent, you know, throughout the course of a hockey game. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it does tend to be best on best, but there may be times when you're, you know, messing with lines just to see, you know, what you're capable of, you know, later in games or, you know, those rest situations. And I think a lot of people have brought up, and I think it's good. It's, it's data-based. Kaliev, why doesn't he get, why isn't he playing higher up in the lineup? Why doesn't he get more ice time and higher? Well, when he's been put up there, his numbers slide a little bit. It doesn't have to do with who he's playing with as much as who he's playing against. Sure. Absolutely. Number two on the list was, will Kevin Fiala be the player the Kings hoped he will be? That assumes we know what they hoped he would be. We do not. But, Jim, I'll just start with you. Was Kevin Fiala the player you hoped he would be? Is he the player? Yes. At 41 games into the season. He is. Is he the player I think he can be? No. Okay. He is the player because I think he's the most productive. I think he leads the team in points. I thought he would be the most productive. And I, at the time when we did the preseason, I used the word productive, which was back to something you talked about earlier. Best, valuable. I think he'd be the most productive. I also think that he has to get better at time and score. And I think he has to get better at risk. And what I think is when you said, I'm 100% behind the Kings acquiring him for eight years and doing because I think he might be at the stage of his career where he's going to start to figure out that, you know what? There, I've got to do my producing till the 50 minute mark or when I'm, when I have people backing me up. Meaning if I make that risk play, I can either be the first guy back to pr- protect if it doesn't work, or I have five guys back because I knew where they were positioned. My teammates were in a position to cover up for my mistake. You want the risk in his game because that's the way he's going to be productive. That's the way he's going to get the other team on their heels. That's the way the other team is going to be thinking about defending Kevin Fiala as opposed to the other way around. And that's a good thing to have. I still think he has a ways to go to understand time and score and situation and where on the ice to make those risky plays. I think he, at the age he is now, I think he can evolve into that. And it will come to him to the point where he'll go, I can still get the same amount of points and be less risky to my team. Four stats for you. Four advanced stats to to put Kevin Fiala in perspective. Offensive zone possession time, 47 seconds per game. That's number one among the Kings. Zone exits, 8.2 per game. That's first among the Kings. Zone entries, 5.8 per game. That's first among the Kings. Open ice deeks, basically one-on-one against the defender, shaking them off, 4.1 per game. That's first among the Kings. And then you look at the ranks among everyone in the NHL. Offensive zone possession, 43rd. Zone exits, 23rd. Zone entries, 21st. Open ice deeks, 14th. Mm -hmm. Now, part of that is opportunity in terms of, you know, those are still very good numbers. You know, we're almost nitpicking here. But... You know, with with Deeks, a lot of that's just opportunities. If you're you're in some sort of transition, then you're not going to have as many opportunities as say uh, someone who's sort of slowing things down a little bit. 
But as far as these other numbers are concerned, I think it circles back to this point that we made earlier that because the scoring and offensive output is so balanced, it doesn't need to be number one, number two, number three in terms of possession, exits, entries, things like that. Because if it were, then I would have bigger questions about who he's playing with. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't have those kinds of questions. The questions are more playoff-centric than, say, they are regular season-centric. But as far as what Fiala has done, they're first among the, some of the more important metrics, as far as I'm concerned, among the Kings. And they're still at a high enough rank uh, compared with all other skaters in the league. I'm more than comfortable saying that Fiala has met expectations. Yeah. He's the most productive player. And he makes it happen. Yeah. And you know what? He's exciting. Nothing wrong with that. Now, again, the investment has been good. I, I think, And I think it will get better because what he is now, I think he will grow to learn that there does have to become some type of a predictability to his own teammates. Not to the other team, but to his own teammates to understand, okay, he may try this here where another guy wouldn't. At the same time, I think Kevin will learn to be as productive as he is now with less risk. The other day, uh, the topic of him moving down the lineup was brought up. And Todd McClellan, I thought, very deftly pointed out that at the moment, our leading scorer, Kevin Fiala, is playing on a line with our leading goal scorer, Gabriel Velarde. But it's still talked about, you know, I think the word was probably demotion that was mm-hmm. used. And he said, this is not a demotion. He's playing with our leading goal scorer. And I thought, well, yeah, that's... I Does his time on ice go down? <clears throat> I don't know. If it does, then it's a demotion. Right. Sure. Exactly. But Fiala, Kopitar, and Kempe have played 255 minutes together. Uh, Fiala, Kupari, and Grundstrom, which was the earlier uh, yep. adjustment, played 88 minutes together. And then this new line has been together for a couple games. Um, and as good as Blake Lazat always is, I think one of the nicer things you can say about Kevin Fiala's game is how much more noticeable I think Blake Lazat is playing on centering him and Velarde. The easy way I can answer this is this. There's only one puck. Mm-hmm. And when you're with Kempe and Kopitar and Fiala, who's sharing the puck? With Lazat, Blake knows he doesn't need it mm-hmm. as much as Kopi does. Doesn't need it as much as Kempe used to. But he, last season, he's the guy I looked at. We get the numbers after each period, and I would, in my head, I'd go, he had a hell of a period. Mm-hmm. Zone ex- exits, zone entries, number one. There you go. That was not even close. Not even close. Games, he's kind of quiet tonight. Look, well, he's not top three. He's not. So those are interesting. Ed, I'm so glad you brought that up. And he needed to be, right? He's not making it happen if he's not. But back to this thing, sometimes the chemistry or the style of player you're playing with allows you to do more. Or uh, Alex Iafalo, who can be a defensive conscious of a line, You 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 can go into positions because you know he's going to be back. All those things come into it. I thought there was a three to four game span there where Kempe, Kopitar, and Fiala were doing what I thought they were going to do, which they were attacking all three at the same time. And the other team was like, ooh, what's going on? But then I just don't know if there's enough puck to share there. The I know we're talking about five on five, but last night the game against Dallas, the power play goal that Kempe scored, everybody focused on the one-touch pass from Fiala, but I was more focused on the – I don't even know what you call that, an inlet pass from Velarde, right? Fiala hits him at the line as they're crossing into the offensive zone. 
Kempe and Fiala never stop forward momentum. Never, they're both sort of looking backwards to where the puck is, but they're both moving as a two pronged. I mean, it must have been terrifying for the goalie. Um, but but Velarde That's gets skill. Fiala the pass. But how much of that is the two of them playing together five on five and beginning to? Oh no, that's no. that's that. Oh, oh. it's hands to me of mm-hmm. Velarde to receive a pass and make that touch pass that you're talking about is very difficult. To me, that goal was created by Kevin Fiala behind the King's net mm-hmm. and building speed. That was like, woo. When I saw that, I said, go, go. And he just went and he kept going. And, you know, you, you do have the power play. Where's, I don't know, Ed, if it's there, but I think more goals are being scored by power plays off of rushes than at any time I've, I can remember. And maybe that's wrong. It's just in my, you know. I, I'd have to look it up. Yeah, are you uh, writing down your homework assignments no, that I, we're giving you today? It, it's all up here. <laughs> it all just, all you know, it used to be gain the zone. Set up. Right. Now it seems like, okay, for- if, if you get there, you've got the green light and more players are just driving to the net. Sure. And, and some of that is situational, uh, but they're scoring, you know, in the situation. Let's do well it, right? Because, yep. because the stick work is so much better. Um, you know, it's, it's also interesting in terms of, you know, cycle opportunities and, and, you know, what the Kings are able to do. And I think that matters, too, in this sort of first half conversation is, you know, being able to see Fiala, Velarde, you know, do more off the cycle, something that they weren't doing as well last, or the Kings weren't doing as well last season. To me, that's been a big change. When, when you have it, they don't. Yes. And when you're cycling, you've got it, and you're 140 mm-hmm. feet away from your own net. And, you're, and then, and, and we can say why, right? Because Kevin Fiala's edge work and his ability to get his body in a position where he's between the puck and the defender is second to none, certainly on the Kings. And that puts him in a position where he can hold on. He can hold on. He's a little guy, right? Oh, try to go through him. Mm-hmm. His center, his blow, the way he gets down is tough. Final one. Uh, and this one I would have felt a lot more passionately about 10 games ago than I do today. Uh, will the Kings seek to upgrade the roster by acquiring any more players from outside the organization? For context, Ed, at the beginning of last season, I said, I looked at the roster and I said, the Kings will make a trade by November 1st. November 1st rolled around, and I said, the Kings will make a trade by December 1st. December 1st rolled around. <laughs> I said, uh, the Kings will make a trade by the trade deadline. The trade deadline came. We had COVID. We had injuries. That was blown up. We, My take on it was we had too many guys. It turns out because of COVID and injuries, we had just enough guys right. to make the playoffs. Um, this season, I sort of carried that feeling over, but I learned my lesson from last year, and I said there's no such thing as too many guys. Um, but... When the team was struggling with consistency earlier in the season, the topic of trades was a lot more active than it has been over the last eight or nine games. Um, but still half a season left to go. Uh, the trade deadline still yet to come. So the possibility still exists that the team will make a trade. Uh, the question, as I'm reading it now, will mm-hmm. the Kings seek to upgrade? Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, sure. You never stop having those conversations. Even if you're number one in the standings, mm-hmm. you're still having talks. Yeah. Colorado brought in uh, yeah. Josh Mason. There, there, is there a way to calculate more homework? For <laughs> so many hours in the day. How much the Kings need a left man? Yeah, there's a way. One way would be to me <laughs> this, this is to look at Sean Dursey, who's been put in that position, mm-hmm. and per 60 minutes compare his turnover rate to when he played on the right side mm-hmm. and see if there's any, you know, or compare his, because I think the one of the biggest adjustments, yeah, is moving the puck. When you get under pressure in your own zone on the other side of the ice, on your backhand, then, ooh, you got to make a play. But also when players are attacking you, 
Now your pivot foot has changed. You got to move your, your, your inside shoulder has changed. You're on a different side of the ice. Your stick position is closer, further. There's a whole bunch of things, but, uh, I would assume they're seeking that position. That's, again, when they won the cup in 12, righty lefty on every pair. And, and I don't know if you're aware, mm-hmm. unusual. Every, those six defensemen played every single game in the playoffs that year. Good grief. No one missed a game with, well, mm-hmm. I'm sure they were playing through a lot of injury. Oh, yeah. But no one missed a game due to it. That's crazy. Yeah. And Jonathan Quick played every minute, too, if I'm not mistaken. So your the chorus section of your band, as I like to call it, <laughs> uh, intact through the whole. Very nice. Not the case in 14. No, not at all. He had a not few. All. The, unfortunately, this conversation number one, will the Kings seek to upgrade, is always harder for us because we are team-affiliated. And so any conversation of how you upgrade the roster necessitates how the space is made, and we're not getting into that. That's for other people to have. That conversation is for other people. Um, Assets, as they call them. Yes, exactly. Uh, But, Ed, I will say this. Ordinarily, I don't pay too much attention to players on the market, but Matthias Ekholm was mentioned Mm -hmm. as a possible target. Uh, and I got to say, I started salivating. Well, so. how could you not? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, rental, I assume, if you're thinking the Kings are in that conversation. I think he's got right. four years left. Oh, my on, goodness. Yeah, at six and a half. That, that's, uh, I'm, I'm unaware of that. Yeah. That's not a rental. No, not at all. That's no. a purchase. Yes. <laughs> you break it, you bought it. Yeah. You know, we're at that level. No, I mean, you know, that would be fascinating. Um, you know, again, you know what the needs are by this point. I think, you know, the one thing that I can say without naming names, I think the one thing that I can say about uh, where the Kings are midway through the season is we know what the needs are, you know, and perhaps they are exacerbated or they're well pronounced, but we know what the needs are. And to me, you know, sometimes you don't always make trades just based out of need, but in in terms of the Kings really making a run this season, you know what you got to do. Yeah. And that's, there's there's some you're always looking up, but again, it's going to be multiple players. Is it going to be a rental? Is it going to be trading for a long term? Uh, Chikrin's the name that everyone that's out there and his you know it seems like he's come back. He's really catching a lot of attention of what he's doing, what he should be doing. Very productive right now with Arizona. So all those things go into it. It's you know the Kings are they're they're probably going to be buyers more than sellers. I assume uh, if you can put those terms, which are very basic, but. Uh, that's changed over the last little while and changed, it looks like, by, it's changed on the timeline we thought it would change. Again, I think a lot of people felt maybe a year ahead of schedule last year when they made the playoffs. If they hadn't, I don't think people would say they were behind schedule. But now, so now you're into that group again. Now, okay, you're looking to make that next step. You're, you're looking to win around or be in a position. Are they contenders yet for the cup? I wouldn't put them in that category yet. But, um, again, because 12, they were eighth place. They make the playoffs, win the Stanley Cup. But I think they're completely different circumstances. There were people who said they would do that. <clears throat> the guy sitting here from the right. <laughs> Both of you guys uh, have a hard out coming up. So before we wrap, I just want to give Ed a chance. I know you probably prepared way more info than we gave you a chance to use. Is there <laughs> anything uh, on your laptop there that you had, were really – yeah. Itching to get into that we didn't cover. Actually, I think we've done a pretty good job. It was fairly thorough. So I think uh, as far as anything else, no, I, I think we're pretty good. Perfect. In that case, Jim Fox, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. And uh, very informative, very educational. And I do look at these numbers, but uh, it's it's really, it's getting, it is a science now. It mm-hmm. truly is. And 
There's nothing, nothing wrong with that at all. Any data that you can get to help you is fine, and, and I love it. Parsing the important data from the unimportant data is very much a science, but also getting out there on the rink and having your laptop open is fun too. And data may be more important to one group and one team at a certain stage of their franchise development than mm -hmm. it is to another. Sure. But to have it and use it effectively is, is a goal, and it's a... Again, that's why everyone is employing these departments to do it, and that's why no one talks about what they're doing. Eddie Gross, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We'll talk to you soon. I'm at the rhythm section, not the chorus section. <laughs>